Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, part two with episode of Homo Sapiens. I'm being very formal here. Uh, with queen of podcasting, Elizabeth Day. Part one's on the feed. Go hear it. You're going to love it. Okay, here's part two. In your new book, Friendaholic, Confessions of a Friendship Addict, one of the things you talk about is intergenerational friendship, right? Yes. So how did this book come about? I, I, I just think it's wonderful and I love your voice in it and it's, uh, it's really nice to feel an expansion, a new direction that you've just done beautifully. Thank you, Chris. That is so lovely of you. I... I loved writing about friendship because it's one of the biggest mm. passions of my life. And that's really where it came from was during the pandemic, like so many of us, my diary emptied overnight. And I realised two things. One, that I missed my truest, closest friends with startling acuteness. Like I actually missed their physicality and seeing them over Zoom was really great, but not great enough and I hadn't realised like how much of that I'd taken for granted before. And the second thing I realised was that they weren't the people that I was spending most of my time with, which was completely wrong. It was topsy-turvy. And mm. the reason for that was because I describe myself as a friendaholic. And what that means is someone who genuinely has a codependent relationship with the idea of forging connections. And I love forging connection and I love finding people interesting. But sometimes there's a difference between being friendly and establishing a full-blown friendship. And my diary had become full of my trying to meet the demands of people that I had met and suddenly we were like in this relationship that I hadn't fully asked for and probably neither had they and that suddenly we were sort of in we were establishing a friendship but neither of us really had enough time and so then you try and get a date in the diary three weeks hence and all of that and so I was trying to do that I was busy at work various other things going on and my truest closest friends would never want to put demands on my time because they understood all of this about me they knew me better than I knew myself yeah. and so they would never ask in the nicest possible way because they didn't want to stress me out and I was like well that's there's something amiss there and I want to find out what it is and that's what led me to write the book both as an exploration of that idea of being addicted to friendship and friendship potentially becoming a sort of emotional crutch so that you don't have to look at yourself <laughs> um, <laughs> but also because it is a passion of mine and I don't feel that there's enough language about it we elevate, as we talked about earlier, romantic love and vanishingly little attention is paid to 
platonic love, companionship. And sometimes the lack of language means that we get ourselves into difficult situations where we're not sure if it makes us a bad friend ending a friendship that isn't working anymore or whether that's allowed. And so I sort of wanted to Mm. give friendship a language, both of love, but also of respect and make people feel less shame and stigma over ending necessary friendships and hopefully giving them some of the vocabulary to do that. Yeah, because did you see Amy Lou Wood, is it, from Sex Education, talking about friendship? Yes, on Women's Women's Hour. Hour. Yes, love Amy Lou Wood. Yes, and she was basically saying everything that I feel. You know, when I, going back to that time, age 39, when I'd just been dumped by my long-term boyfriend and I felt, that was honestly one of the worst moments of my life. My friends were the ones who scooped me up, who had me over to stay, who drank wine with me, took me to the cinema, fed me Nando's. Like they were there for me in such an extraordinary way that required nothing back from me. And it was just an act of love that I'm forever grateful for. So yes, Mm. I wanted to pay tribute to all of that. But I also wanted to look at what happens when you're ghosted by a friend? Um, what what has social media meant for friendship? Oh, there was a there was a gasp of recognition, Chris, and I want to know more. <laughs> uh, well, it was more to do with you sharing that you were blanked by a friend in the street, right? Yeah, someone who had previously been a very close friend of mine. I now feel an enormous amount of love and fondness for that particular friendship and I now realise that simply because a friendship ends she's shaking her head as she said that I'm not that (laughs) also I should say because I don't normally read reviews but a couple have slept under the radar and there seems to be some concern I have anonymized everyone in this book that I that like except one (laughs) except one and it's her no um I haven't anonymized my my friend's it sounds okay. I've anonymized the ones who would want to be anonymized. So there's like no yeah. way that you would be able to recognize yourself. And in this particular instance, we have been really close. And then I don't know. I genuinely still don't really know what happened. And I, I, I but in once you're ghosted, you have to, in that gap, sort of place your own interpretation of events. And so the conclusion I came to was that our friendship had been forged in sadness in the sense that we were both going through really difficult stuff in our personal lives and and I think I then met someone new romantically and my work started going a bit better and I think maybe that led to a sort of distance that Mm. was in many ways unbreachable because it's a very hard thing to say out loud and actually i i don't believe that everything has to be said out loud i kind of understand sometimes Mm. that some friendships are so intense that you feel you would be cruel to say what's really on your mind or how you're feeling about it if it's going awry and sometimes you can distance yourself gradually with non-verbal boundaries but this ghosting was really sudden the way that i experienced Mm. it was very sudden and um yeah she (laughs) blanked me in the street one day and i was like oh okay that's that's the sign that it's really over and it was it was a slow motion grief of the kind that I've never experienced before and it took mm. me I would even say not even months years to be okay with it and I am okay with it now and that's why I can write about it and I wish her nothing but the best and all the happiness and, and but I wanted to write about it because I wanted to be truthful and the mm. way that I seek to explain things 
and to connect with readers and listeners is to share my experiences. I don't theorise, I use my own experience, albeit one that is anonymized and very protective of the people who are actually involved. And that for me is very important. I could have chosen to write a book about friendship that was twee and lovely, but I actually Mm. really wanted to go there and explore the things, the darker side, because once you start talking about it, going back to shame at the very beginning, you so many people come forward and say, oh my gosh, that happened to me. Thank you for putting it into words because I still feel shame over it. I really do. I feel like... I must have been a terrible person for someone to want to do that to me. But I have to write it down because it's part of the truth of friendship. Yeah, and it totally is. And I think it's really interesting because... So there's this thing that you can... um, You have a podcast about therapy as well. You talk about therapy a lot. But um, one of these things that I've alighted on in therapy, which I love, which is relevant here, is... When something happens, so like a conflict with a friend or, or just anything, what happened? Mm. And then you have to say what happened. And then you have to say, what did you tell yourself was the story about yeah. what happened? I.e. that person blanked me in the street. But I would tell, I know I would tell myself, therefore they hate me because they secretly think I'm horrible and they've told mm. everyone else I'm horrible and yes. blah, 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 blah. And that's what kind of eats you up inside when actually you don't know what's gone on with that person. But but I'm so interested that yes. you think that you don't have to verbalise because that's one of the things I wanted to ask you is like, because yeah. there's no there's no rule book for being friends with people in the same way that those relationships. Like, are you a fan of a sit down and go, hey, this pissed me off? Or do you think that's not what friendship is about? First of all, I'm exactly like you. And that's the story I tell myself all the time, which I take to therapy. (laughs) Like everyone hates me and they're all sitting in a committee room discussing how appalling I am and all the ways I've done them wrong. It's horrendous. And secondly, that might also inform this answer. I'm extremely conflict avoidant. And that's not a good, that's not a good thing for me to be. It leads to my being cowardly and not giving things their appropriate names and not having sit downs that other people, other friends would find really helpful. And I know that I've been guilty of being confusing in the past because Mm -hmm. I haven't been brave enough to say this is the situation. What I realise now, and it's come about through writing this book, talking a lot to my best friend, Emma, who is a therapist and who I have that best friend therapy podcast with. And I'm saying this and you're going to laugh, but I mean it really seriously, watching a lot of Real Housewives. (laughs) Because on the Real Housewives, generally speaking, they always confront a problem. They they have to because they're on a reality TV show. So the producer is saying, you've got to confront this person, name this problem. And genuinely, it's taught me a lot because most of those friendships survive some of the most appalling things that you could do or say to a dear friend. And they sort of survive. And Emma has taught me that relationships become stronger when there is the safety to have rupture and then repair. So the test of a of a true relationship, whether it be a platonic or romantic one, is absolutely that you're, you can say something like that. You can say, this pissed me off and know that the person will still love you and be thinking the best of you when you're saying that. And it's a very rare quality. So that all comes... So I'm not great at sit down, but I've got better at sending a clearer text. So 
Um, and I think Ooh. that one of the ways that you can do that is always to remind yourself to lead with love. Even when you've got something difficult that you need to say, you can express it in a loving way. And there's another example in the book of, of a friendship breakup. And all credit to my former friend, she was the one who called me out on my lack of clarity. And I ended up sending her a text saying, I've got nothing but love for you and fondness for our memories. I'm going through some stuff in my life right now. And I think that we're at slightly different phases and I need to take a step back and I wish you nothing but the best and lots of love. And I think that's okay. And that's different from saying, these are all the things that you did that pissed me off. And these are the things that I think make you really selfish and, and, you don't I don't believe that you need to say all of that. And I think that can be really hurtful for the recipient. And ultimately it's their journey to go on or as to what kind of individual and person and friend that they want to be. So yeah, I I do think that there are ways of doing it that you can lead with love. And I think the other thing that's important is to work out before you embark on any relationship, and we're sort of more practiced doing this romantically, but before you embark on a friendship, work out three things like what you want from a friendship, whether you have space for it in your life in terms of what the other person is expecting of you and what your metric of friendship is. And my metric of friendship, I don't need weekly phone calls. I don't even need to see you that much. I, But I do need to know that there is a generosity of spirit there, that you will be mm. thinking the best of me, even in the worst situations. And I will do that in return. So that when we do see each other, there isn't any guilt or obliga- obligation attached to that. And we can hit a sort of relational depth quite quickly. And for some people, mm. their metrics will be like regular phone calls, um, going to yoga together. And that's great and wonderful. And I encourage everyone to think about what they actually mean when they say friendship before they engage in one. And that can save a lot of time with misunderstandings. Yeah, I mean, also requires a lot of self-knowledge. Because if I know myself well enough, like I have found like in romantic relationships, I've always been really pleased with myself (laughs) for sticking up for myself. Like I've always found it easy to stick up for myself and I don't know why. But with friendships, I would say I've been much more classic in the sense of like, I've gone after the wrong people, like almost like how you've been in a relationship. Yeah. yeah, like I've been, enabled myself to be treated badly. I have pursued people who I know absolutely don't really want to be my friend. You know, like uh, there has been a desperation about me um, in my, you know, in, in my 20s. Well, let's just say there has been. Why put an age on it, Chris? Because that's like like I'm pretending it doesn't happen anymore. Um, and yeah, and it's really, I've often thought about that. I've been like, wonder what it is that is, why did I get the software in relationships yes. but I didn't get it in friendships? Can I ask you a question? Because I'm, I'm fascinated by this because I had to ask myself the same things. What was your experience like as a child? Because as a child, we don't have romantic relationships, hopefully. But Mm. we're expected to have friendships and you're thrown into school environments where you don't necessarily choose who the people Mm. are that you hang out with. And I think that can be very formative. So what was your childhood experience of friendship like? Amazing. Like, I... (laughs) I've got no bloody explanation then. Okay, no, carry on. It was amazing. Yeah, it was just amazing. Like, we had... Like, I, I went to 
this school called St Michael's that was at the end of my road, mixed boys and girls school. And I was, I remember just feeling like the happiest kid. And then I went, (laughs) it's going to get bad in a sec. And I met like a group of girls. One of them was called Dawn and one of them was called Minnie. And we all just hung out and we just had the best time. But that was when I was sort of genderless because I was so little. And then as I started to get a bit older and then like boys and girls peel off together, I was like, uh, I've been left with people who think I'm weird. Mm-hmm. And because you sort of get put with the boys and then you can't play football and you don't know how to and all that. And I definitely became complicated as a person as a result. Like I, I started behaving badly and all that stuff. And I don't know, like, I don't know if that has formed how I see friendships I think I definitely formed an idea of myself that I wasn't enough and I would use a friendship to tell me I was enough and so I would pursue people and be like if you're my friend I'm all right and I and I that was it as well I wanted to be popular because I knew that that created some social currency that would help me survive in a what I was considering to be like a viper's nest because I was sort of being bullied uh, well, I could not relate more other than the fact that we're entirely different people with, with different <laughs> backgrounds and I'm a straight cis woman. But that feeling of primary school, bed of roses, everyone's sort of accepting. Secondary school, for me, very different story. I have an English accent. I was growing up in Northern Ireland, went to secondary school in Belfast, didn't fit in, felt totally alone, really scared. And to me, what that sounds like is you needed to belong and you were striving to fit in because there is safety in that cool tribe. And Mm. so that probably played itself out then in your 20s where you thought, I need to go after the friend who isn't like me to Mm. protect me from who I actually am because that seems not acceptable. Yeah. And it was addictive, is addictive. And actually like... It's one of those things I know I see about myself. But what I also think is really interesting, which is why friendship is complex, is I have friends who are still my friends to this day who were exceptionally patient with me throughout that time when I was actually being an arsehole because I was sort of just being horrible. I was just being a horrible little squirt. And they only, not only now, but as, in, as, as I became an adult, I sort of see that they were patient with me mm. and they were kind to me. It's like you, you were saying how you should do it with love, even if you're not. And, and I'm like, that's amazing because, you know, I wasn't happy and I was behaving in, in step with that, I suppose. 
can I ask what your first romantic relationship was? Like, was that when you were in your later teens, early 20s? Uh, it was when I was 19. Yeah. Well, my first romantic relationship where they liked me back. <laughs> yeah, yes. Was when I was... Ni- no, was I 19? Maybe I was 21. I think I came out when I was 19. And that was a really intense, 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 intense romantic relationship. But was also very nutritious and kind mm. and functional actually functioning so that is so interesting and sorry for asking you loads of therapy type questions but that so you're (laughs) i do too it's where all the good stuff happens (laughs) that first experience of a romantic relationship not only had you understood who you were by that stage but you were with someone who was kind and nourishing and it was functional Mm. so that's probably why that feels like a safer space for you to know yourself mm. and stand up for yourself than friendships, which have all of this really difficult history for you. But I'm sure you're like an amazing friend now, but I wonder if that's that's possibly part of the explanation. Yeah, no, you're right. And I am a, like, I am also a really good friend. Like I'm always the one who remembers everyone's birthdays and texts everyone else to tell them it's so-and-so's birthday and all of that. So it's complex, but it's funny you say that because... Not everybody who lives in southwest London has a podcast, but <laughs> I grew up with the Ware family, Lenny Ware and Jessie Ware. I love them so much. I always remember Lenny Ware saying to us, that, like when we were growing up, she said, I always want you to have a great first relationship because it tells you what they can be. Oh. Um, and I always remember her saying that and I was like, oh, interesting. And it's always stayed with me because I was like, I felt really lucky that the first relationship was a good one. And Yeah. Um, yeah, really that what phenomenal advice and there is no such caution with friendship and that's mm. you know again like part of the issue we need to just get so much more comfortable with talking about friendship and understanding it and doing kind of health checks on our friendship status as well as health checks on our mental health and our financial health and our physical health and so uh, yeah that's it's just I could talk about this for hours but what as ever what amazing advice Lenny Ware gives <laughs> yeah the sage Lenny but then what is also the thing that that qualifies a friendship is they go on for 20 30 years at sometimes yeah. and how much do you change within them because you can feel embarrassed to have changed within mm. a friendship and like your friends treat you a certain way and you don't want to be treated like that or known as that anymore or you know and it's really hard to bring that up because friendship you know relationships unless they're lifelong can like two three years whatever i don't know sometimes yes. they're two nights exactly but friendships are often <laughs> over a decade right yes and there's a a social expectation that friendships should last forever, which is ultimately Mm. unrealistic because the older we get, potentially the more friends we make and you can't sustain every single one of those friendships and ensure that it's functional because there are only so many hours in every single day. And there's been very interesting work done on this by Robin Dunbar, this University of Oxford sociology professor who has done a lot of amazing work on friendship. And he talks about friendship layers, that your first layer has up to five key relationships and if you get married or you have a long-term romantic relationship or you have children that will generally cost you two of those key other relationships two of those key friendships because you don't have enough time to invest in them and I found that quite liberating because I'd been rushing around thinking I'm doing a terrible job and I'm failing as a friend unless I keep all of these friendships going forever but actually Mm. It was impossible. And I was doing the friendships a disservice by not delineating. And there there can be friends 
different kinds of friends that perform different kind of purposes. And there are sort of outer layer friends who might be on your Christmas card list or who you might invite to um, a 40th birthday party. But they're not necessarily people that you're communicating with every single day. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that they're less than. It just means that there's only so much time in in any given person's life. And there are also friendships for seasons of your life and <laughs> oh i thought you meant just seasonal oh seasonal yes yeah. summer so my spring... friend <laughs> this is my spring friend janet <laughs> yeah yes a spring friend would always be called janet you're so right um no seasonal so there are certain life phases that you'll go through and and they will they will take you apart from each other like i the fact that i haven't had children that's been a real challenge for some friendships who mm. they have had their children and their families and that's made them really busy and so they have less time to pursue active friendships and that's that's okay as long as there's understanding and empathy on both sides and the best friendships are ones that we allow each other to evolve and to grow all the time and we can experience life together but I I think that there's a lot to be said for understanding that simply because a friendship ends or moves into a different phase does not make it a failure it makes it something mm. that has forever changed your life in a really meaningful, beautiful way. In the same way that a volcano will forever change the landscape. But sometimes a volcano lies dormant for many, many years and sometimes it will be dormant forever. But it's still there and it's still sort of shaping the horizon. And I I really like that feeling. I am the sum of all of my friendships, whether they're an active part in my life or not. And the other thing is, we're talking about sort of older people earlier um and i do talk about age different friendships in friendaholic because one of my most mm. beloved friends joan is 20 years older than i am and I um and i spoke to another friend of mine bonnie who's in her 70s and she gave me this story which was extraordinary about how she'd been very close friends with another woman and this woman had one day decided to end their friendship and gave Bonnie a litany of things that Bonnie had done wrong and how she just didn't want to spend any more time with her. And they weren't friends for like over a decade. And then one Christmas recently, Bonnie was like, do you know what? I wonder what happened to her. And she wrote her a letter and um, reached out and just said, happy Christmas. And the woman in question wrote back and said, I'm so sorry, I was going through some stuff at that time and I'd really like to be friends again. And they're now friends again. And I think that's another wonderful thing. They can come back into your life. Yeah, it's sort of, um, I need to get my Rolodex out. I have got the same, <laughs> for whatever reason, right, this, my phone has every single number since like my Nokia 223210 yeah. or whatever. So I have got so many people's numbers in this phone from like 25 years. Like, I've still got, do you remember when you were on a night out? You might still do this. Like, and you would just write the name of the person and then the surname would be like where you met them. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> I've still got those numbers in my That's phone. That's so sweet. Like Andrew Shadow Lounge. Yeah. Uh, and, and, um, it's a good name for a Bond villain. Yes, it is. Um, I need to have a scroll through and see if there's any anyone I need to rekindle. But yeah, the best yeah. friendships are like, I love when you retreat into a language with friends, which is... Um, you know, like loads of friends who've moved away and stuff and we just text each other the occasional thing and and, and that's that. And it doesn't mean anything. Mm. And actually, one of my closest friends, Ben, like, we do talk, but there's no tabs are kept on it. We just exactly. exchange messages, you know, and it's just exchange stuff, like information in a silly way. Yeah, I I love that 
freedom. And I have exactly the same thing with my my best friend, Emma. And part of the reason I call her my best friend, which to some people might sound sort of twee, <laughs> is is that it gives us both this sort of sense of safety in that. Like we know that we're there for each other. And the label mm. is important for us because it's the closest thing that society comes to having some sort of formalised ritual for friendship. There are no mm. stages like moving in together, dating, potentially marriage or civil <laughs> yeah. partnership. Like you don't have that. So actually the label is is super important for us. And I should just say as well, if anyone's listening to this and not relating because they don't feel they have friends, that's also completely fine. My husband is someone who, uh, by his own admission, just doesn't really have that many friends. And it's partly because he has different priorities and he's a fully functioning human being and individual. (laughs) And it's quite funny that he's married someone who self-identifies as a friendaholic. But there's been a lot of work done about how dangerous for your health it is to feel lonely. Now, that's different from not having that many friends, actually. Everyone has Mm. different levels of loneliness. Some people will feel lonely in a crowd. And feeling lonely is as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's proven by a scientific study. But having too many friends is also dangerous for your mental health and leads to higher instances of depression, partly because you're rushing around trying to meet all of these demands and you're sort of stressed out and Mm. worried that you haven't been there for someone all of the time. And so it's about finding the place that works for you, really. It's just, it's really, this book is all about asking questions rather than having all of the answers and encouraging other people to ask questions and have conversations and work out what friendship means to them. Often I find one of the things I love about doing this podcast is I find that you talk to people and they lift your spirits. I think that's what podcasting is all about. And Elizabeth lifts my spirits. I think she's extraordinary. I really hope you enjoyed that chat and felt that you learned as much as I felt. And do check out Elizabeth's book. It's really good. Now, next week on Tuesday, we're going to be talking to Liv Little. Liv is an author. She was also the founder of Galdem. She's written a book called Rosewater and she's going to come and talk to us all about her new book for a Culture Club special. So that's very exciting. Get in touch, stay connected at Instagram, at Homo Sapiens on Instagram, I mean, at Homo Sapiens Podcast on Facebook. Email your comments, your questions, your agony uncles to hello at homo sapienspodcast.com. Uh, this has been delightful as ever. You've all been a joy. So thank you so much. And uh, I'm sending you loads of love. Be on your merry way. Keep talking. It's very good for us all. And you're all my friends, just so you know. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Powered by Spirit Studios.